Well, we're wrapping up our series today, and as we look back, we've been answering one question, and the question is this, what really matters to God? And how would you go about answering a question like that? And the way we've gone about it is, first of all, we've looked at God's desire. It says in 2 Peter 3.9, it says that God does not want any to perish. God does not want any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So the whole point is, is that God wants people in relationship with Him. That's His desire. So one of the ways we answer what matters is here's the desire on His heart. Then last week we looked at it from a slightly different angle. Jesus said this, I will build my church. And as we look back, Jesus made this profound statement at a time when there was no church. Right? So he's looking through time and he's saying, I'm going to build this church. People probably laughed, wondering what he's talking about. And here we are today in the 21st century. We have now the latest statistics, according to Gordon Conwell's School of Missions here, is 2.5 billion people that are Christ followers today, all over the world, all over nations and, and ethnic groups being pulled together. And this is what Jesus did. He took such great diversity and brought about a unity the new community called the Church of Jesus Christ. So you begin to see that this is what he wants. He wants his church to grow. And by the way, let me say, not only are there 2.5 billion believers, Christ followers, but if you ask the question, where is the church growing the fastest today? The top 20 countries of the church growing the fastest are either Asia or Africa. The number two country where the church is growing fastest is China. Isn't that unbelievable? Where we sometimes might think it's a closed country, nothing's close to God. God is building his church. And you can see his dedication to this happening. So we looked at desire, we look at dedication, and this morning we're going to look at tenderness. Tenderness. We're going to see a side of Jesus on Palm Sunday that begins to shape the answer to the question, what really, really matters to God? As we think about this Holy Week, the events of Holy Week changed the history of the world. Think about that. What happened this week, 2,000 years ago, changed the history of of the entire world. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19, we're going to look at verses uh, 28 to 44. If you have a device, that'd be awesome too. It's so important that we have the Word of God. The Word of God is alive, it's sharp, it will pierce to the very core of our being. As Luke wrote it, verse 28, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there who no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. 
As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is a king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let's pray together. Father, after you sent your son, you promised to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit. So we invite the Holy Spirit right now to come and teach us. You told us that the Spirit would teach us your word. That you would open our eyes by the power of the Spirit leading us into truth. You told us too that the Spirit would guide us as we come gathered on this Lord's day. We need guidance for life. We need direction. We need your path. Holy Spirit, guide us. Holy Spirit, you adopted us into the family of God. You made us your children. You were the one, Holy Spirit, who caused us to be born again. You sealed us for the day of redemption. You're pouring out the Father's love into our hearts. So Holy Spirit, as we seek you this morning, give us ears to hear. Let us journey down this path with Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you confirm in our hearts the truth and reality of those things that really matter. Things that the Father made clear matter and the things that Jesus lived out. And then, Holy Spirit, as Jesus said to follow him, lead us on that path of following Jesus. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as Jesus is in this story, right, he typically stayed out of the limelight. He was not wanting to grab attention, and yet what we begin to see here is that Jesus is going front and center. He's not resisting any public acclaim. He's not stopping people from crying out and praising him or praising God. And so we see a new side happening to Jesus that set 
up the events for this week. And as we think about this, uh, read a little bit in John's Gospel, we find out that Jesus was in Bethany or Bethage, as it says here in Luke, which is about two miles outside of Jerusalem. So that morning, he starts heading towards Jerusalem, and you need to get a picture. He's on the east side, and he's looking across the Kidron Valley, right? He's in the Mount of Olives, and he looks across the Kidron Valley, and he sees the city, right? And he goes down, and he walks or goes through on a donkey the Garden of Gethsemane. He goes to the bottom of the Kidron Valley, and then he looks up on the majestic city of Jerusalem. He sees the temple. He sees the streets lined with people. There's all these things going on. And as we think about this, all these people were coming into Jerusalem, not because of Passover, but because of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they're coming from all over the region, all over the Roman Empire, Jews that were devout followers of God were now coming to Jerusalem to the temple to worship. If Jerusalem, as historians tell us, had a normal regular population of about 75,000, as we move into the week, it swells to double the size. 150,000 people moving into Jerusalem. And we see here the streets are lined with people. People, as we just read in the passage, that had never heard about Jesus. They're just coming to Jerusalem because that's what they were supposed to do. They get to Jerusalem, they start hearing stories about Jesus, and they're like, who is this? There's other people that were touched by Jesus, people that were prayed over, people that were ministered to, people that were healed. And they're called in the passage here in verse 37 that they were called disciples, and they're celebrating, it says right there in verse 37, because of all these miracles, these encounters, with the living God in their lives. All of this is happening. It's swirling with thoughts and ideas and energy and excitement and enthusiasm and food and family and friends. All of it is converging in Jerusalem. And so what we want to do is take this Palm Sunday and move down and focus on the very heart of God, the tenderness of Jesus Christ. So I have two points I want to make this morning. The first one is this, that Jesus saw the city. Now that sounds kind of ridiculous, but you'll see what I mean in just a moment. And the second is that Jesus wept. And we want to ask the question, why was Jesus weeping? So if we look at the first one, the first question, we see in verses 41 and 42, something really simple there. And that is, and I don't want you to miss it in the scriptures, is that Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem, just as I described, coming down from the Mount of Olives, he's looking across, he saw the city, right? You see it right there in your own scripture, on your own device, you see that Jesus saw the city. Now to give you a little bit of a feel of what he might have seen was here's the city as he's looking across from the Mount of Olives and he looks at this. He's looking across the Kidron Valley at the capital of Israel. Or let me say it a little differently. He's looking at these buildings, the temple, that shake out in a lot of different ways and he's thinking this is what could have been. This is what could have been. It was at one time one of the greatest 
cities, capital cities, of one of the greatest kingdoms in the world, in that part of the world. It was one of these places where the temple was an amazing wonder, where the true presence of God was there, the Shekinah glory, and people could experience his presence. It was also a place where the word was taught, where the words of Moses, the greatest prophet, was laid out week after week on the Sabbath, and people were coming to hear all of that as Jesus is looking at this city. But you know, I know, and God knows. He wasn't looking at buildings. He wasn't looking at the houses. He wasn't even looking at the temple. He was looking at people. People lining the streets. People that were shouting out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. These people that are shouting peace. These are people that he encountered earlier in his ministry, earlier in his life. He was born in Bethlehem. There were people there from Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. There were people from Nazareth. There was people from Cana where he performed his first wedding. There were people from Capernaum, his new adopted ministry home. They're all gathered there. People, people that he knew their stories. He knew their stories because as we read in the passage, he did all these miracles. People that he touched. People that he prayed for. People that he told stories so that they could get an understanding of who God is. People that he ate with. People that laughed with him. People that laughed at him. He saw all these people and he knew their stories. And as we see at the end of the passage we read, he knew what could have been. He knew what could have been as he saw the city. Can we be really clear? He saw abused women. He saw women that were taken advantage of. He saw women that were pushed to the side. He saw women that were trampled on and shoved out of marriage and left to try to make life work, raising kids. He saw that. He saw strong women who persevered even as they were sometimes looked at as outcasts and sometimes as second class, he saw women and their stories. He saw men. He saw men who were weak and sometimes confused, not sure really what God wanted. Men that were after power, men who were after things. He saw men were strong. He saw men who stayed with their families. He saw men who walked away from their families. He saw men who turned their kids against them, sons and daughters. And he saw dads 
who turned the hearts of their sons and daughters back towards them. He saw it all. He saw families. He saw families that were broken, families that were alienated, families that were estranged. He saw families that were just torn apart, the very fabric. He saw it all. This is what Jesus is seeing. It's the only thing that makes sense in this passage when we get to him weeping, is that he saw what could have been. We read the stories in the Gospels and and think of the rich young ruler. As Luke records it, he had to be some kind of civic leader. He was known in his community and he comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? but he's a wealthy man. He's pursuing money. He's pursuing things. He had the latest gadgets. And Jesus just said, give it all away and come follow me. And you know the story. He just shook his head and said, the price is too high and walked away. You can imagine how many rulers, rich young rulers, were out there in the crowds. And Jesus knew it. Or you think of Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the shadows of the night in John chapter 3. Where was Nicodemus this day? Was he still hiding in the shadows? Was he still wondering, should I be a Christ follower? Is this really the Messiah? Was he still asking questions ad nauseum? Or was he going to take that step of faith? There were more Nicodemuses out there. Or you think of Jesus' half-brothers. The Bible gives us the names of at least four of them. Where were they? We know that James doubted. We know that they questioned him. They know We know that he wanted him to The brothers wanted him to calm down. Where were they now? What about his half-sisters? The Bible tells us he had at least two. Where were they? Were they following Jesus? Were they questioning? What about the woman caught in adultery in John 8? You remember the story. Jesus steps in, this woman caught, Where was the man? Jesus knew. But he steps in to protect a vulnerable woman. You see the tenderness of his heart. You see he cares about people and what's happening. And you remember how the story ends in John 8? He was without, this, the, without sin, cast the first stone. And everybody walks away. And then Jesus looks her in the eye. Tells her to go on and sin no more. Was she in the crowd that day? Or was that just a good, precious, spiritual moment of a religious high? But it didn't matter now. 
Or how about the woman that was bleeding for 12 years? It says that she went to a number of people and nobody could heal her. But she had enough faith in what she heard about Jesus. She, as a woman, was pushed to the outside, not allowed to get close. She had so much faith, she fought her way in and grabs hold of his cloak, knowing that if she could just do that, she would get healed. And she did. She got healed. And Jesus, in a tender moment, stops everything, looks at her, says, tell me your story. Tell me your story. Powerful moments. Do you think she was in Jerusalem? Waiting and waving palms? Do you think she still believed or was the healing enough? Oh, we settle for so much, don't we? We settle so easily. How about Bartimaeus? Remember him sitting on the edge of the road? He's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus again. I mean, all these people. In a tender moment, he stops. He says, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And Jesus heals him right there. You do know, though. You do know. I'm not just talking about the people then and there. I'm talking about us here and now. Jesus saw the city. He sees you. He knows your story. He knows everything about you. There's a tenderness for you. A deep, profound tenderness. Because he knows that we are so prone to accept a few crumbs and move on. So we know the story. We know that all these people are out there waving and singing and praising and joining in. But we know what happens by the end of the week, don't we? They turn against him. You know, in John chapter 2, it says, Jesus was not entrusting himself to anyone because he knew, he knew what was in our hearts. By the end of the week. By the end of the week. How many people that had been healed then rejected Jesus? How many people that had been prayed for rejected Jesus? How many people who had sat under Jesus' teaching followed him around Galilee or Judea and rejected him? Can't help but think that maybe it's some of the same numbers that we see today. But let's go back to our text as Luke said Jesus 
wept over it. And he said, if you, Jerusalem, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace. What would bring you peace. Jesus wept. The Greek word there is a strong word. He sobbed. We only have a couple places in Scripture where we see such deep emotion. It says this in John 11, right? When his friend Lazarus died, that Jesus sobbed. He sobbed over the destruction of sin that included death. He sobs over the things of shame and guilt that we try to do to wash off these things. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. We don't have a lot of Jesus' prayers recorded, but we do have several. And one of the prayers that He prayed was in John 17. And you just got to get the sense of the tone as He prayed and sought heaven to keep His disciples seeking after God. And then He prayed for us as well. The tenderness. The tenderness. He saw it all. And He wept if you had known what makes for peace. Well, what makes for peace is a crucified Messiah. He's talking about being made right with God. If you and I would have known. That's why people turn to so many things in our culture today to try to fill up and satisfy the soul. We turn to alcohol. We turn to drugs. We turn to shopping. We turn to work. We turn to porn. We turn to all kinds of things to try to satisfy it. And Jesus is saying, if you had known what makes for peace, they didn't. Well, they wouldn't embrace it, much like today. Jesus is just weeping over the red rejection. If they would have known. Well, it says, and let's take a moment to look at this, the end of the passage. We get a powerful picture. The days will come upon you, Jerusalem when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They, the enemy, will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They didn't recognize that Jesus was a man sent by God to bring peace to the human heart. And we know what happened. Forty years after Jesus said those very words, forty years, Jerusalem was destroyed. Just like it's describing there in the passage. So when we try to answer the question, what really matters? 
What we want to see is that there's a God in heaven who loves people. The reason we know it is because one is desire. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come into repentance. We see his dedication to gather people from all over the world to build his church. And we see now his tenderness. He was weeping as people rejected the very plan of God. Jesus wept over a missed opportunity for peace. It happened then, and it's happening today. And when that happens, when that happens, there's a downward spiral into bondage. We, in our modern day, we like to use the word addiction. The Bible doesn't use the word addiction. It talks about a spiritual bondage, a stronghold, a place where the enemy can work. And it's all the things that we do to try to fill up our souls. When we reject God's solution, there's a downward spiral into alienation. Relationships rip apart. Marriages can't hold together. Families just kind of shred. There's suffering and there's pain. But God has a better plan. God has a plan for us. A plan for peace and joy. And the events of Holy Week set it in motion so that we can worship the true and living God and find the peace and freedom and joy breaking the chains that hold us so that we can live the life that God intended. What an exciting thing. And so as we think about this next week, what I want to do is close the service today praying. Praying for next week that we would see even more powerfully what God wants to do. God wants this relationship. He wants to grow his church, and he wants us to know his tenderness. So I'm going to ask Pastor Brad and Robin to come out. We're going to pray for a few things this morning. We want to pray for is we want to pray for the worship services next week. We want to pray for our guests that we're inviting. Remember that we should be following Jesus over and over. He said, follow me, and as we follow him, it's not just walking after a man, right? It's following after his heart, his heart of tenderness towards people. So we want to pray for our guests next week. And then I want to pray too for us, that we would be bold. After we pray, uh, before I pray and close us out, we want to take a moment and just listen to God. So let's, let's just go together, if you'll join me. I'm going to ask Pastor Brad if you'd lead us off praying for the services. And then Robin, if you would pray for our guest. And then after Robin prays, we'll just pause for a moment and listen and see what God is saying to us. And then I'll close us. Father God, we thank you for access to you, direct access. And we thank you for your spirit because we know that you hear our prayers, that you intercede for us. And Father, we just want to pray for our Easter services. And God, just this morning, you're kind of putting on my heart that we would have like a kingdom-mindedness 
Um, God, that we would look back in, in what you did on the cross and, and your resurrection, and that we would look forward, God, to, to being with you one day and it being perfect, and that that would make Easter so much sweeter this year. So, God, I do pray for that, um, that, that we would approach when we come to church on Sunday, we, we wouldn't just think back to what God did, what you did. We would do that, but we would also look forward to being with you forever, God, and we know we get glimpses of that. We get glimpses. We're in the already, but not yet. Your, your kingdom is not yet fully realized, but there are glimpses we get, and so, Father, I pray Easter Sunday we would get a glimpse of what it would be like to worship you in heaven. God, I pray for all the details of those services, uh, two going on at the same time. Uh, God, I, I just there's so many things to think through. I pray that you take care of them all. Father, I pray that, that not one opportunity would be missed, meaning every seat would be filled, every seat uh, that is supposed to be filled that you would fill, Father. I just pray that in Jesus' name. And Father, we want to pray for salvation. Uh, God, I ask boldly, I ask boldly in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. God, we know that you're always moving in power, but it's so encouraging when we get to see it. God, one of the most exciting things I think as a Christian on this side of eternity is seeing other people come to faith, come into the realization that they were dead, but now they're alive. And God, I pray that would happen on Easter Sunday. I pray for salvation in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just want to pray for um, any of the guests that are going to be joining us at the Easter service. Lord, I pray for those uh, who have never heard your name, Lord. And we want to thank you for those people that they are able to come and join us as we celebrate this time. Lord, I pray that you would just pierce their hearts with your love and with your goodness and, for, and with what you did on the cross, Lord. I pray that they will look around to all of us praising you and say, Lord, I, I want that. Like, Lord, I really do. Um, and I pray that they will just accept you, Lord. And we want to trust, as Brad said, we want to trust for big things. We want to trust for salvation. We are small, but we can have a great faith because we believe in a great God, Lord. And I also want to pray for those who are coming and who have maybe not been to church in a long time, who have maybe been hurt by the church or maybe just feeling really distant from God. Lord, I pray we would just break the chains of that distance of that shame maybe, of that need of forgiveness of maybe the hurt of the church will just fall, Lord, and we, they'll just see you for who you are, not clouded by any of our human judgments, but see that you died on the cross, and that is such a beautiful thing, Lord. So I pray that in this next week, we'll just be praying for those people who are coming, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now let's just take a moment and listen and hear what God wants to say to any one of us. I sense the Lord just, he put a question, um, like a pretty specific question that I just want to share, and that's, does your life demand an explanation? That was the question he asked, and I think in light of Tom's message, I'm, as I'm hearing from God, I feel like it's specifically tied to the way that you care and love people, that people would look at your life and 
Um, does it demand an explanation? Why are you this way, and how do you do this? So. I know we don't always do this, uh, but if there's someone here this morning that senses strongly that God's laid something on their heart for us, uh, if you just slip your hand in the air, um, don't feel like you have to, but if you sense something that the Lord's saying to you, that it's for all of us that are here. I think picking back off what um, Brad had said, as does your life kind of need an explanation, um, I also want you to rest in that God does forgive you. Um, that's been something that has really been on my heart. And all I heard as he was saying that was just forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Um, God is a great God, but oh, he's such a loving God. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees your name and he sees who you are. And all he feels towards you is love. Um, so just like rest mm. in that. That's good. That's good. I, I sense the word peace, which fits with what Robin was saying. So we live in a world that is dealing with so many conflicts and issues. And we need forgiveness from God, which brings peace. Well, let, let me pray for us now. Father, when Jesus was ready to leave this earth, it says in Acts chapter 1, Jesus left some words. He said, you are my witnesses. And Father, you tell us that through this word that we are witnesses to Jesus Christ, what he's done in our life how he's touched us, how he's forgiven us, how he's removed sin and shame and guilt, how he's given us hope over death. As we so often say, just telling and showing the story of Jesus. And then you tell us, Jesus, that as we are your witnesses, that you'll give us power. You'll give us power to be your witnesses. So I pray for everyone here right now that whoever they invite, they would not shrink back, they would not be questioning, they would not make excuses, they would not be wondering, but God, your power would give them answers. Your power would give them direction. Your power would conquer fear. Your power would give them creativity. Your power would let them see the burden on Jesus' heart that brought so much tenderness. That you give us power power, as it says in verse 1-8, to go to Jerusalem and Judea, all the way to the uttermost parts of the world. God, you've called us to this place right now, Huntley and Dundee and Algonquin and Elgin and Crystal Lake, Gilberts and Pingree Grove, all these communities, God. Help us to be your witnesses to them, to your glory, God as Jesus utters those words, they did not recognize. Help us to recognize and be urgent about it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what a great day to worship. What a great day to see the heart of Jesus. As you leave, remember, Jesus changes everything.